If you have your Bibles, um, please turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, verses 32 to 43. Uh, Today's message is entitled, A Cross Examination. Luke chapter 23, verses 32 to 43. The word of the Lord reads, Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they cast the lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He save others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed, justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly, I say to you, today, you will be with me in paradise. And may the Lord add his blessing to both the reading and the preaching of his word. Not all people die the same way. Some die during the night, while some die during the day. Some may die in anguish, while others may die at peace. And some may die with the faith and the hope for eternity, yet others are defiant even during their waning moments here on earth. The gospel accounts tells us that there were three men who hung on the cross and died at a place called the Skull or Golgotha. Now listen carefully. They all died differently. One died for sin. Another died to sin, while one other died in sin. This evening in a cross-examination featuring the last conversation among the three, we'll consider each of these predicaments and consider the implications in our lives. In the preceding text in, in Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, the religious leaders had brought Jesus to, the, to Pilate's, the governor's attention, saying that he had misled them, saying that they even, Jesus even forbid him, forbid them to give tribute to Caesar and even claims to be called the king. In Pilate's own examination, and even Herod's own too, both found Jesus not guilty 
of any of the charges. However, both the religious leaders and the unruly crowd both shouted and demanded continuously to Pilate, crucified him. And after a few exchanges, even defending Jesus' innocent, Pilate delivered them, delivered Jesus over to their will. And so the scene is set at the place called the Skull, or Golgotha, where there are three men on the cross about to die, and Jesus is one of them. In our text, besides Jesus, we become familiar with two criminals on the cross, one on the left and one on the right. Other scripture passages use the word thief, which can also mean evildoer or or plunderer. And maybe in our language, we may use the word crook or convict, but it's also commonly referred to as criminals. And so these two criminals had been caught. Uh, These two criminals had been charged and convicted, as well as now stand condemned, and later condemned to death. So there is no retrial. There is no redo. There is no recompense. Nothing can reverse this sentence of condemnation. And usually immediately after the criminal's trial, the criminal would have been shaken down, beaten down, and taken down to the place of execution to be nailed to the cross like what has transpired here. We may ask the question, is this death tragic? Tragic, you may wonder. Some may say that, well, they deserved it. They, they left lived a, a life of crime. Maybe others may say, because in their minds, tragic means differently. Tragic means maybe somebody died accidentally or incidentally or situationally or carelessly or even by means of maliciously. But what is tragic? The tragic thing here is about a person who is about to die like the way he lived, and that is without God. Not simply just lost in life, but headed towards being lost in eternity. That's tragedy. Psalm 19, verse 17 says, The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nation that forgot God. Tragedy is nothing but hell awaits those who die without God. Tragic is for anyone who's living without God today, and may die without God. So in verse 39, we we focus on the first thief. And immediately what stands out to us is that he lashed out loud. All of them there were, were hanging on the cross in misery and pain, but this one thief, he burst out with a verbal assault. The, the word rail in our context means to, to speak evil or, or to ill will or to blasphemy. And he goes right to it, so there's not even a warm-up. 
not even to soft to loud, not even to sweet to sour, but right on attack mode. Full force with a verbal venom. Blasting away with no regards whatsoever, he starts off questioning Jesus' identity. Are you not the Christ? You see, the thief does not believe who Jesus is. He does not believe what he has done. Or he does not believe what Jesus will do. He doesn't even believe the sign hanging over Jesus' head that proclaims him to be the king of the Jews. This is telling. This is telling of the, of the thief, telling us in so many words where his heart is. Bitter, blinded, beclouded, both in depths and darkness of sin. This telling moment is a telling picture of many in our world today. For some people, it doesn't take much to profane the name of Christ. For others, they, they curse Christ without even considering Christ. While others refuse to call on his name, yet they can rail just like the thief or lay the blame on God. Those who deny Jesus with both their lips and their lives are telling us all what we need to know. Perhaps they're Reactions prove, too, that they are also bitter. They are also blinded, beclouded in both the depth and darkness of sin. And so right away, there is a caution for all of us. And maybe we need to ask the question, what is telling upon our lips? What is telling about our lives? The thief's last words were the mocking statements or the sentiments previously said by the religious rulers. There's no other gospel text suggests that any other response that they made afterwards or he made afterwards before his death. So we can conclude upon first examination, this man died in his sin. Now in verse 40, we see the other criminal, and he chimes in. And so our second examination comes quickly. It says in verse 40, but the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? For we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due rewards of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And so what we know about this second criminal is the same as we know about the previous man. He was also a thief who was caught, who was charged and convicted and now condemned as well for his respective crimes. There was no recourse. There was no retrials. There was no return. Now, according to Mark chapter 15, verse 32, in fairness... Both criminals, plural, initially mocked Jesus. So what was the sudden change that happened on this second criminal? 
Why the sudden change, especially in the evident and in the form of rebuke to the previous? So once again, we look at our text, and maybe he was influenced what he had witnessed earlier. That is how Jesus responded to other people's jeers and mocks. At the cross, it was noted the religious rulers, the the Roman guards, the, the crowd all chimed in. They all mocked. They scoffed. They ridiculed. They vilified. Yet Jesus was silent to each group, to each person, to each set of mockery and ridicule. The passage we read earlier in Isaiah Chapter 53, verse 7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that's before sharers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. So maybe it was not what he heard, but what he saw in Jesus that was revealed by the Spirit of God to open his eyes, to soften his heart, to convict his soul, even change his words and tone to that very moment. And like the previous, what spoke forth from his mouth was telling in many respects. In one brief sentence, he recognized the innocence of Christ and the guiltiness of both himself and the other thief. And he's not just merely acknowledging an error, but the guiltiness of sin in his soul. And even further, he does not even entitle himself to salvation, but rather condemnation. How about us? How is our recognition skills. That is, how do we, do we recognize the sinfulness in our own soul? Particularly, do we see sin how God sees us? See sin. Not all the time do people see sin how God sees sin. Some people say that sin is a weakness. God says it is a It's wickedness. Some say sin is a fascination. God said sin is fatal. Some may say sin is recreation. God says sin is rebellion. Some say sin is unavoidable. But God says sin is ungodliness. Some may think sin is liberating. God says sin is lawlessness. Even some may say sin is justified. While God says sin brings judgment. So do we recognize sin the way God sees us? In the book of Romans, chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
couple chapters over, it says the wages of sin is death. That is a separation. And so do we see, do we recognize our sin and our soul before God as he sees it? And not just recognize it, but responding before the Lord in repentance. Here we have one individual recognizing himself as he is, sinful and separated. And he also recognized Jesus as he is. He specifically said, this man has done nothing wrong. He understands that Jesus committed no sin and that he is who he claims to be. So on the cross, the thief now directs his comment to Jesus. Not only does he direct his words, but he also turns his trust. The man looked beyond the present, and with a yielding faith, he saw the significance of Jesus dying on the cross, as well as his rule and reign. And in verse 42, he says, to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Friends, have you come to that point in your life? Have you turned your trust alone to Christ alone? Granted, you may have done a lot of good things. Maybe you had, had, had some good influence on others. But have you come to a point or a place where you saw yourself as a sinner before God and Jesus Christ as your only hope? Have you called upon his name and trusted Christ alone to save your soul? If not, I encourage you to do so tonight to recognize that you have sinned before God and to trust Christ who died on the cross for your sins. The first man, he died in sin. The second man, he died to sin. Not because of his righteousness, but because of Christ. The second man ceased to be under the power and penalty of sin because of Christ. The Bible tells us all who believe are dead to sin and alive to Christ. You know, earlier, the ruler scoffed at, at Jesus and saying he, he saved others, but let him save himself. And true, Jesus does save others. And he died on the cross for our sins. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrated his own love towards us, and while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. So in response to the man's plea, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus accepted the faith of the dying thief, and Jesus told this man, that he did not have to wait for a future time to be with the Lord. 
he would be with the Lord that very day in paradise. Have we ever wondered, in terms of that one response that Jesus gave, how much it's filled with grace? Think about it. There was no requirement. There was no request. There was not even a recount. But rather, today you will be with me in paradise. There was no study this. There was no serve here or there or even sing this song, but rather, today you will be with me in paradise. There was no works needed. There was no witnessing warranted, not even wondering why, but rather, today you will be with me in paradise. That's grace. The grace of our Lord. The Bible says, for you've been saved through, by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not a result of works that no one should boast. The following saying has been said several times over, salvation is never a reward to the righteous, but rather a gift to the guilty by grace. Not only this is a gracious gift, but this is a guarantee from Jesus. The word truly stands out. Uh, we've seen J- Jesus used it throughout the gospel. Truly, truly, I say to you, or very, verily, I say to you, which essentially means assuredly. In other words, it is guaranteed. It is secure. It is a lock in Jesus' own words. You see, the man's redemption was secure as the word of God. There was not a delay Not tomorrow, but today. The man's soul was in heaven even before the soldiers would take down his dead body from the cross. Scripture tells us in Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so I mentioned that there were three people that died on that hill died in a place called the Skull or Calvary. One died in his sin. He went to hell not just because he railed on Jesus, but because he rejected Jesus to the very end of his life. The next man, he died to sin. He turned to trust in Jesus, and by God's grace he was saved. And that very day, as promised, Jesus remembered him in paradise. The third man was Jesus himself, and he died for sin. He gave his life on the cross so you and I might experience forgiveness and receive the free gift of eternal life. He died for our sins so you and I would not have to die in our sins. Tonight, as I bring you 
the word of truth, and encouragement to us all. May those who have yet to trust in Christ, I encourage you to trust Christ alone now by faith. And for the rest of us, it draws us near as we contemplate, as we reflect, near to our Lord, near to our God, and understanding the richness of His grace and His mercy and His love. That Christ, fully God, fully man, died on the cross for our sins. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you for drawing us deeper into your truth tonight about the significance of Jesus' death. This cross-examination even prompt us to consider our response before you. We, we pray for your grace that, that we humbly come before you and trust Christ as our Savior. And for those of us who have believed, Father, let the blessings flow. Let us bless you. Let us praise you. Let us worship you. Because according to your mercy, you have caused us to be born again to the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Father, we are grateful. And we're thankful to you. Thank you, Jesus. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.